You know, a couple weeks ago, I went shopping with the protégés while we were on our protégé fun day. And we were in this shop in Santa Cruz, and I came across this greeting card that caught me off guard, if I'm honest. And it says, I know I've truly grown into, grown into a strong and powerful woman because I can still literally do anything while crying. You know, I wasn't sure if that was sarcasm or if that was ownership that you can still be powerful and shed tears. But here's what I do know. We live in a country filled with people that by and large are uncomfortable with the reality of discomfort, let alone pain. We have songs that tell us that big girls don't cry and a society that tells us that real men don't cry. I mean, think about it. It's even written into our Declaration of Independence that I and you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this declaration goes so far as to say that even all human beings have been given this right by their creator and that governments were created to protect these rights. And as Christians, if you don't believe it, this declaration has shaped our theology here in America. Because, you see, if I think that my creator gave me the right to pursue happiness, then what happens when life doesn't give me what I feel like it owes me? What happens when I look out and I see all the discomfort in the lives of people that I love? What about the pain and tragedy that I see in the country that I love? If these truths are self-evident and all humanity is endowed with these rights, what happens when I look at the world and I see the pain and devastation and the evil? What do I think? Here's what I know, that in America, we don't do loss very well. We don't like grief. Somebody dies in your family, you get three days to pull your life together and get back to work. We don't accept defeat. We've seen the bumper stickers. These colors don't run. We expect to win and we expect everything to go our way. What happens when we lose? and things don't go our way. We are a country that has little idea and a people who has little idea what to do with its pain. And when we do admit that there's brokenness in our life and we seek some form of therapy, we expect it to work and not be work so that I can get back to pursuing my happiness. But here's the problem. Being people so committed to happiness, it seeps into the church. And on Sunday morning, I get up and I wipe off Saturday night's tears and I come into church with my Sunday smile. And when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I might throw out some silly cliche like, well, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And all the while on the inside, something is happening. We should be able to bring our tears to church because you know what? We're not too blessed to be stressed, church. There's a lot going on around us. But here's what I think. I think, honestly, that pain can be too paralyzing. Or it can make you so angry that you just want to explode 
I mean, think about it. We have international pain, national struggle, local strife. And in your own life, you've got pain. You've got health issues. You've got financial issues. You are worried about your kids, your marriage, your friends, your family. And the list goes on. But some of you may have actually come in here today happy. And you're welcome. Don't be sad about that. Don't, don't feel shame for that. Your life may be clicking on all cylinders. But let me tell you, one of my youth pastors used to say this. Three types of people walk into the room on Sunday morning. Those who just came out of a storm, those on their way into one, and those smack dab in the middle of the storm. And today, this sermon is for all of us. Because if you came in, coming out of that storm, praise God. Teach us what you've learned from that. Don't go hide. Worship. Praise God. Because that reminds us that there is hope in the midst of the storm. And some of you might be thinking, well, gosh, maybe this sermon was crafted just because of what's been going on recently in our state, in our country, and in our world, and in our community. And I want to tell you, that couldn't be farther from the truth. God started this message in this community eight weeks ago. Our teaching team sat down, and we were planning these series of talks for the summer on Communion Sunday. And they looked at me and said, so what do you think God is putting on your heart to talk about? And I was like, well, last summer I got to talk about Psalm 51 and forgiveness and, oh, my goodness, and how we sin. Well, lament. Now, I said that sheepishly because nobody usually wants to talk about getting real with God, pouring your heart out to God, taking the stuff of your life and dropping it at the feet of Jesus. But I got so much support from our group, I was so grateful to be able to tell you this, that if you're here today, it's no accident. God knew eight weeks ago that you'd be sitting in this seat. He brought you here because he has something he wants to say to you. But can I tell you that this didn't just start for me eight weeks ago. This is a story that God has been writing in my life for the last couple of years. I have had a series of disappointments and heartache and relationships that I would rather bail on, if I'm honest, because there's just too much pain. But God has sustained me. There have been times in my life at seminary these last couple of years when I have wanted to give up. And there have been people right here in this community who have encouraged me, who have loved me, who have told me, keep going. And I've been so grateful for that. Because oddly enough, the papers, the projects, and the people that I've met have actually helped me to process my pain. And when I say to you that God is actually writing this story through my life, I literally mean that. I am actually working on a devotional book for people who are grieving. Because that's what people need to know is how do you connect with God when you're in grief? I would love to talk with anybody more about that at another time, but let me just tell you what I've learned over the last couple of years. That when it comes to dealing with the storms, we've got two options. So we can choose the path of independence, or we can choose the path of dependence. And this is what dependence looks like, complete surrender to God. But humanity's solution is independence, relying on our human strength and abilities. We want to avoid God's prescription for lament, for getting real with him, 
for telling him the truth, for saying like the psalmist in six, Psalm 6 says, I am worn out by crying all night and that my bed is drenched with tears. If somebody handed me that prescription, I wouldn't take it. But God is asking us to meet him right at the edge of our pain. But instead, we tend to dig deeper, try harder, steal ourselves against the world, bury our feelings, and and act like it doesn't matter. We keep a stiff upper lip and white-knuckle it, never admit defeat. God's solution is dependence upon him. But here's what's hard about that. Like Chris told us last week, often God's prescription takes the long way around. And it's usually not comfortable, but necessary. You see, lament requires us to face pain head on. And it is a gut-level honesty with the God of the universe. When we get honest with God, when we face things head on, and we get honest with him, it may sound a little disrespectful. But let me tell you, our human solution can lead us to cynicism. And God already knows what you're thinking, so why not tell him? Well, let me read to you a quote from A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Here's what he says about what cynicism can do. So cynicism seems to be the looking at what's really going on. It feels real authentic, and when it takes root in our lives, it feels more real than truth. But that's a double-edged sword, he says. It protects you from the crushing disappointment, and at the same time, it leads you to this creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy your spirit. That's not what God wants for you. Oh, but there's something else other than cynicism that seems actually a little better, and it's optimism. Oh, we do this one well. We don't make space for pain. We minimize grief and try to hurry through the process. In the church, words like depression and anxiety are naughty words, and we try to cover them over with scriptures like, well, doesn't it say to to not be anxious for anything or to count it all joy? And yeah, scripture says that, but try telling that to someone when they're in pain. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Not that scripture doesn't work, but misappropriating it and misapplying it. And we skip over all the other scriptures that say things like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We skip over things like, God is near to the brokenhearted and bear each other's burdens. We bypass the words like, pour your heart out to God. And there's Proverbs that say, don't sing happy songs to a broken heart. I know you're trying to be encouraging, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we need to learn to just sit with people in their pain and let them cry. That is just as holy as praise. How do I know? Because the reality is there are over 40% of the Psalms devoted to lament. Can you believe it? The Hebrews used to actually sing their pain to God. This last week in preparation for this message, I went online looking for any form of lament in our style of worship today. Do you know I found enough songs that I can only count on one hand? Church, I'm telling you, this pursuit of happiness has seeped into the church that we have forgotten how to lay our burdens 
down with God, how to get real with him. But the Bible doesn't shy away from this expression of pain. There are books called, there's a book called Lamentations in the Old Testament written by the prophet Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet of all things. And we can't forget Ecclesiastes, where the teacher, the one who had everything in this world, called all of life meaningless. And of course, there's Job, chapter after chapter of this man pouring out his heart about the state of his family, the loss of his loved ones, his health. And in chapter 23 of Job, verse 4, he says this, I'm bringing my argument to God. We're allowed to do that, ladies and gentlemen. We're allowed to bring our pain and our arguments to God. But my personal favorite is Habakkuk. Some of you may not even know where that is in the Bible, but you know the story of Jonah, and so if you can find the book of Jonah, flip over about 10 or 12 pages and you'll get to Habakkuk. I love him so much because he embodies lament in the truest way. There have been times in my 40 years of being a Christian that I have just opened the Bible to Habakkuk and read the words because I was too afraid to say them, but it was what I was feeling. And so I read them. I figured if they're in the Bible and the prophet could say them, then I will too. And I'm going to turn there. The words will be on the screen. But I just want you to listen to the honesty from Habakkuk. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict that abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So like I could take those words and put them on the front of any magazine or newspaper in the last few weeks. Justice perverted. Pain. Why am I having to look at injustice? But here's the truth of it. Lament is not just complaining. It is a process of feeling the pain, the reality of injustice, and the desire to retaliate. And rather than taking matters into our own hands, we take them in our hands to the God of the universe because he cares. We take our pain there because only he can help us with a healthy solution to the problems that face us. Now I'm going to tell you, it's okay to get angry. That may not sound very spiritual. And for those of you that may have been angry or may be angry about things that are going on in your life and in our world, you may feel like that's too far from God. Being angry is probably as close to God as you can get at times, depending on what you do with your anger. Taking it to God is the difference between it being sin and righteous indignation. Because I can tell you that God loves his creation more than you do. And he's angry too. There are some of us, though, who move too quickly past the pain, telling ourselves things like, well, if God is in control and this is just the way it is, then this must be the way it's supposed to be. Well, Paul Miller addresses this in his book called The Praying Life about over-spiritualizing. And he says this, we can over-spiritualize in prayer, 
submitting too quickly to God and not letting our true personhood emerge. He then talks about Jesus' impassioned plea in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 28, uh, sorry, 26, 39, where Jesus says this to the Father. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What the author says is that Jesus is being real, and as Christians, we often rush too quickly to the not my will, but your will be done part. And we stop expressing our true hearts. The lesson, he says, is this. Once we begin to over-spiritualize and stop being real with God, we are no longer having a real conversation. And might I add, we're no longer having a real relationship with God. Because you shouldn't give in. You should, uh, you should take God at his word that he cares. Because if you do give in, what happens is the bitterness, the cynicism starts to seep in. So I'll ask you, look at our world, our nation, our community, and even your own life. And I'm sure there's stuff worth grieving over. For some of you here today, God has brought you here to heal you, to give you permission to be human, to stop trying to make sense of things and to stop trying to be strong enough and instead to choose weakness. Because oddly, and I don't understand it all, but that's where God shows up. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us that his power is made perfect in weakness. We're to choose humility because that's where grace shows up. James 4, 6 tells us that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Choose to mourn, Scripture asks us to do, because that's where God's comfort shows up. We are promised in Matthew 5, 4 that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You can be assured of that. It's not might, it's will be. So when you lament and give full vent to your grief about the evil that you see in the world, the oppression, the poverty, the disparity, the pain, the loneliness, you do this knowing that because if we tried even today in random acts of kindness, they would be a drop in the sea of insanity that's pervading our world. It's not enough. Optimism is not enough. Lament is tearing our clothes in grief like the prophets of the Old Testament at the sin that we see before us. But we have to start with us, the sin that I've done, and then the sin that's done to me, and then the sin that I see being done to other people. And I grieve about that because lament, in that, I repent. I repent of the sin that I've done. I grieve over the sin done to me. And then I seek justice for the sin that I see being done to other people. That's how I partner with God in my lament. Lament embodies trust and hope in God. Through lament, we come face to face with God in ownership that this is not the way the world was supposed to be. It was not supposed to be like this. This is not what God wanted. Jesus, before he died, prayed for unity in the church. He prayed that we would go out and bring his love to people. That's what God wanted. 
But there are times when lament needs no words. There are times when lament is clearly spoken to God through the tears that stream down our face, asking questions like, where are you? Why aren't you? And when will you? And we lean on God's spirit, as it says in Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, translating, making clear what our groans are saying. So you don't have to say a word, but you do have to be honest. That's what God requires of us because lament is believing that God is ever at work behind the scenes. Even though none of this was his will, he's still got a plan. He's got a plan to make good out of everything, but that's because he is good. Lament is to remind you that God is good and that this world is his, although right now it's under temporary occupancy by his enemy. But God is still in control, ladies and gentlemen. Sung Chun Ra in his book on prophetic lament, if you want to read a really amazing book on lament, this is it. But let me just tell you what he has to say about lamentations and what it means to lament. He says this, lamentations recognizes that hope can arise. Hope can arise in the midst of suffering. Why? Because of God's faithfulness. Last week, if you didn't hear it, Chris preached all about God's faithfulness. Go and listen to it, because without that, you won't understand lament. God's hope arises in the midst of his faithfulness, even when we're suffering. And he says this, celebration can arise out of suffering, but lament is the necessary expression of that suffering. You can't bypass it. you got to go through. Lament reminds us that God had and still has a plan, and I am part of that plan. That what may be seemingly random acts of kindness, when I connect them to a loving God, things happen. There is hope. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. When I have faith, I am confident in God and in his character. Habakkuk, that same book, chapter 2, verse 4, says this, that the righteous will live by faith. That's why Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God and that God rewards faith. Why? Because the righteous will live by faith. And we're not righteous in and of ourselves. We are righteous because of what Jesus already did. And so God is telling Habakkuk through those words that the only way to survive the pain and the devastation that you see in front of you, that he's asking how long and why, the only way to survive that is through being faithful in his relationship to God and in exercising confidence in the character of God. So church, I would say the same thing to us. The only way to survive the devastation and the pain we see around us is to be faithful in our relationship with God and to exercise confidence in the character of God. 
So when you face pain, and you see the devastation in the world, and you begin to think that some stoic posture is more Christian, I'm here to tell you it's not. It's better to cry, casting all your cares, because God cares. If you stuff your feelings, that is not a sign of trust. You wonder why some people who don't know Jesus yet are wondering, but if I go in there, I got stuff to deal with. I got problems. They need to see us dealing with our stuff in honest ways so that they will come into the church knowing that this is where you bring your stuff. Don't leave them out there to some other faith or religion or themselves to figure this out because they won't. They can't. You can try and be your own savior. You can pretend you've got it all figured out. But this life, if I can just tell you, it will knock the stuffing out of you. And it's okay to admit your weakness. Because the strongest man who ever lived, Jesus, divinity wrapped in humanity, he owned that. Jesus, when he walked this earth, felt the gut-wrenching compassion of, phys- of the physical and emotional and spiritual state of his creation. And do you know what that did? It drove him to meet with God day after day after day in prayer, crying, pouring out his heart to God because of what he saw. And if that's what divinity wrapped in humanity had to do to survive this place, what do you think you and I have to do? You cannot survive this place without God. The truth is, our flesh wasn't intended to. Back in the garden, you remember, they walked with God day after day. That's what we were intended for, and that's what we have to get back to. Jesus' greatest agony was being separated from the Father. So what makes you and me think that we can survive this place without him? Jesus was on the cross, arms spread, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was because he was carrying our sin. Jesus gave up connection with God to carry our sin so that we could be restored in relationship to God. Don't waste his gift. Don't waste his pain. We cannot survive this place without a relationship with God. And for those of you in relationship with God, without getting real with God, So here's what I would say. Instead of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, how about a declaration of dependence where liberty comes from being real about the stuff of life and giving God everything and receiving back his comfort, his joy, and incomprehensible peace. Friends, weeping, it may endure for a night, It's not going to overwhelm you. But joy, it's going to come through the morning. You have to mourn. You can't skip that part. Church, 
we have to declare a declaration of dependence upon God, trusting in his character and in his faithfulness. And then we will see what he will do. Will you please pray with me? God, I thank you so much that we don't have to put on Sunday smiles and come into your house. Thank you that we can get real about our pain and that you're not offended by that. I thank you, God, for Jesus who bore all of our pain. Thank you, God, for Jesus that he, was, he came to restore relationship, to give us a way back to you. I pray, God, for anyone in this room who doesn't know you, but life has just been knocking the stuffing out of them. Would you help them to realize that you brought them here to say, you weren't supposed to do it without me. I love you, and I want to do life with you. Help us all to reach for your hand today and do life with you. In Jesus' name. As we stay in an attitude of prayer, I just want to take the next few minutes as the band plays softly to give you time to reflect on what God may be stirring in your heart during this time. Our prayer team is going to be up here in just a minute. And if you need somebody to talk to about what's stirring in your heart, please don't leave here today without sharing your pain with someone. We're here to support you.